index card when you came in today, and I want you to take that index card, if you would, turn it to the blank side, that's the side with no lines, I just, you would be surprised if I'm not really explicit in my instructions, how these things go. Um, on that blank side, draw a line right down the middle. The shorter distance, the shorter line in the half. Now, got that? On the left side, write me at the top in small letters, so you've got to give yourself room to write. On the other side, on the right side, write someone, and I'll explain that in just a minute. Just write someone, yeah. Because I had to leave it open-ended. You'll, you'll understand that in just a minute. Now, according to the latest Gallup poll, there are six main needs that people have in the United States today. Here they are. We got them up on the screen. Here are the six needs. I'm going to read them to you, and then I want you to identify one or two that ring a bell with you. That you go, yeah, that's something that I know I need. And I want you to write down. All you have to do is write down the number. You don't have to write out everything. All right. First one is to believe life is meaningful and has purpose. So if, if that you know if that kind of makes you think, yeah, that makes sense, then you just write that down as one of your needs. To have a sense of community and deeper relationships, <laughs> the guys are going, huh? Okay, just, if you do that, then don't write that one down. Number three, to be appreciated and respected. Some of the guys may go, yeah, I need to be. Anyway, I don't want to get into that. We'll, we'll get into the marriage series later. Ah, to be listened to and heard. There go the women. Okay. To feel that one is growing in faith and to have practical help in developing a mature faith. So just one or two of those that jump out of you. He identified these six needs in America that everybody has, and we're just kind of giving you an opportunity to, to let us know what you recognize needs are that you have. All right. Now, that's just for my information. That's just as we look at series and uh, coming up in the future, things that we can do to help meet your needs. Now, here's the fun part. On the someone side, we've been talking about this whole life is a highway deal, and, and we're going to go through this real quick, and then I'll tell you what's right for someone. Last week, we talked about a test drive. Life is a highway, and we said test drive. We're going to get into this more today and in the next couple of weeks. But basically, the idea is, Bruce just gave me the whole sales pitch, you know, trying to sell me a Dodge truck back there on the back. No, not really. We were talking about sales. People come in, and they do a test drive. Everybody knows what a test drive is. We encourage you to test drive God, test drive the church, test drive um, Christianity, because we know that when you do, and you find out that all this stuff is true, you start going, man, that church isn't that smart, that, that pastor isn't that smart. There must be somebody, a, a higher power that they're talking to, because when I apply the things that they tell me to apply, that come out of the Bible, God's Word, my life works better. And so we ask you to test drive. But there's going to be a point, right, where you don't want them just to test drive. Bruce doesn't want us all to come to test drive. Well, he wants to test drive. But if all we do is test drive, that's not enough, is it? No, nah, because he would be disappointed. <laughs> Sat through a, a timeshare sales pitch this week, and when we said no, and I knew it was coming, and, and Jamie actually said early on, she goes, when we tell you no, are you going to be mean to us? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, now I've got, I've got to ask you at the end if you're going to buy, and I said, you can ask, and we're going to tell you no, we're here for the free gift, man, you know, and he was just as nice as he could be, and so we said no. Anyway. You don't want people just to test drive. Eventually, you want people to make that commitment. And that's what we're asking people to do in the test drive area. There's going to be a time when you've got to quit test driving and you've got to say, yes, this is where I want to plug my life in. The next stop on this, this highway is a road trip. If you 
only test drive and, and, and just make a commitment to the church, to the body of Christ, that's great, yay! But I know people have done it for 50 years, and all they've ever done is come to church over and over and over again, and they're spiritual infants. There's something wrong with that picture. If you are the same 50 years from now, because really the way that you figure out if you're growing spiritually, two things. You ask yourself, am I growing in my love towards God? Am I growing in my love towards people? It's a real easy way to, uh, to, to figure out if you're growing spiritually. And if after 50 years, if you look exactly the same spiritually towards God and towards other people, then it's a problem. We're going to talk about that in, in a little bit. So a road trip is where you move to, uh, to, to begin growing in your relationship with Christ. Road trip is no fun if you're by yourself. I won't go on a road trip by myself. Because I don't have anybody to talk to. I like to talk. Janie loves our road trips because she's got me tied up for six hours, however long we're going. Go to my parents. That's 500 miles. That's a long trip. And we just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. We have a great time. We take pictures. Last year we went to uh, Paladura Canyon. My kids can't wait to go back to Paladura Canyon. We went to Red River on a road trip. That was a blast. We can't wait to go back to Red River this year. It's fun to go with other people. And we say that you go on a road trip through small groups. We'll talk about that today. Then there's another stop that you need to get to. The pit stop. Now if you just think about NASCAR. NASCAR is the fastest growing sport in America today. Except for in Washington State, yeah, they're like, they're having all these things, they, they have signs, you know, no rednecks allowed and stuff like that. They're, they don't want NASCAR to expand to Washington State. Well, whatever. Pit stop. What happens to these big name racers if they don't have a pit crew? Do they win? No, ask Tom Cruise. I, next week I'll actually show you a clip from, uh, from Days of Thunder just because I've referenced it two weeks in a row now. Tom Cruise, Days of Thunder, man. When he did it the, the pit crew way, his tires lasted longer and he won races. When he did it his way, you know, he lost races. If you don't have a pit crew, if you don't have people serving and giving up their lives for you, you will not grow spiritually. It is impossible to grow spiritually unless someone is serving you. So if you come to church, the band practices. They're up here early on Sunday morning so that they can, um, they can feed you spiritually. Donald is, is busy all during the week praying and, and seeking God and practicing songs and, and buying software. And he called me this week because he needed to buy some software. Doing all this stuff so that on Sundays, when you come here at 11, this just doesn't happen. It doesn't, you know, we don't just make it up on the fly. Somebody has, has studied and given up their life so that you can grow spiritually. And what we're trying to do is encourage people to move from pet drive to road trip. Get in the pit crew. Find some place that you can serve, because there's stuff you will learn about the Christian life serving that you will not learn any other way. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. And if we're going to be like Jesus, then we've got to serve. So we're going to talk about that on the, on the next couple of weeks. Now, <clears throat> any of these things take commitment. And this is always going to be true, no matter how big our church gets. We're always going to have a higher number of people that test drive than, than are on road trips. You know why that is? Commitment, there you go. Because every time you raise the bar of commitment and it takes more commitment, your numbers are going to shrink a little bit. And that's okay. We're not, we're not going to condemn people. We're just going to keep encouraging. We're going to tell you why you need to move on. So we'll have higher numbers that come to worship than we have in small group. And we'll have higher numbers in small group than we have on the pit crew. Because when you say, you want to serve? You want me to do what? You want me to go downstairs and work in the nursery? 
and, and Janie's passionate about this, but she will make sure, and Sandy's the same way, they do not want to give you your children with dirty diapers. See, if I were down there, I'm like, it's your kid. That's why I'm not down there. No, I, I would clean your kid. I wouldn't enjoy it, but, you know, I would do it for you. You understand what I'm saying? So when you serve, you learn some things about Christianity that you'll never serve, never learn any other way. Now, the reason I say that is because you become what you're committed to. Now, on your card, you thought I forgot, didn't you? On your card where it says someone, this could be a spouse. If you're not married, it could be, you know, a child. It could be a, a relative. It could be somebody. Someone you know fairly well. I want you just to start jotting down the things that they're committed to. I don't care what it is. You just write it down because we're going to use some of this in, in a little bit. Someone you know, what are they committed to? Just start writing it down. All right? Some of you didn't even have to think. You just start busting them out. If you run out of room, just write over at the bottom, turn it over, and then you've got all the lines there on that side. You can fill that in. Now, when you're done... Just pass it to the end of your row. This section come right here and just hold them. This section pass it right here. This section pass it over here. I'll tell you what, this section pass them that way since Dwayne's standing there. You're that way. Everybody else is this way. All right? Let's pray together and we'll continue worshiping. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the sacrifice of his life so that we could have a place where we could go and do life together. I thank you, God, that I don't have to put on a mask and try to pretend I'm spiritual if I'm not. That there's a group of people that, that will love me and pray for me and encourage me to get where I need to go. And I pray that more people could experience that. Just open our eyes and our ears and our hearts today as we come into your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name.
a body, a human body. And by the way, it doesn't happen by accident. You know, you don't have to worry about walking out there and all of a sudden a, 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 deep, a demonic spirit will jump in you. I mean, you have to invite them in, okay, by your behavior, by the things that, that you choose to do. But I would expect the Son of God to be able to say, get lost. And the evil spirit would get lost. Well, there's 2,000 pigs that ran off of this one, you know, bluff because the, the demons had to get out of this man that, that could not be restrained, restrained by chains. And people were afraid of him and he ripped his clothes off. And there's all kinds of junk that was going on. I don't know if you've ever seen a demonic possessed uh, person. I've seen it like twice in my life. It is bizarre. It is not. It is not some. Uh, it's not some psychosis of the mind. It is not that person at all. This is this, this a foreign. It, it's bizarre. And when you see it, it will scare you. That, that's the type of thing. When Jesus saw it, they would cry out, We know who you are, Son of God! And he said, Get out of here. And they would get out. I would expect the Son of God to be able to do that. Other founders weren't able to do that. I would expect the Son of God to have power over the deep. And this was the cool thing about Jesus, as you read the scriptures. Not only did he say to somebody, you know, he'd go up and he'd touch some people and they would be healed. Not only would he say things to some people and they would be healed. There's one instance where a father came and he said, My son is ill. And then the, the messengers come and they say, they say, don't bother the teacher anymore because your son is dead. He's not ill. He's dead. And Jesus said, that's right. Your son will be well. And the son is healed from like 38 miles away. That's a pretty good indication that he's got power over disease. You know, that's, that's, I like that. So this founder does the things that, that you would expect the son of God to be able to do. But then the most remarkable thing, no other founder even claimed this. We celebrate it in three weeks. We started a new series called Bread on, on Easter. This founder died and conquered death. I would expect the Son of God, the one who spoke the world into existence, to be able to overcome the one thing that we fear the most, death. This one did. So this stands out. Jesus Christ, when he speaks, he has more validity in my mind because he's not only demonstrated the power that I would expect the Son of God to have, but he's also overcome the one thing that I can't overcome, the one inevitability that we all face besides taxes, death. He's overcome it. Now, I'm not going to follow a dead guy. You can choose whatever you want to do. I want to follow the one who conquered death. And I read about this Buddhist in Africa who converted to Christianity, and that is radical change to go from Buddhism to Christianity. He was asked, why would you make such an unbelievable change and be an outcast from your family because you've changed totally your belief system? Here's what he said. It's like this. If you were walking along and came to a fork in the road and two men were there, one was dead, the other was alive. Whose direction are you going to follow? I mean, I was thinking about this, and maybe the dead guy falls down and, you know, his fingers point this way. <laughs> so I can say, oh, he's pointing this way. He knows. Or I can listen to the guy who's alive. I don't know about you, again. But I'm gonna, if I'm needing, you know, to know which direction to go, I'm going to ask a live person. They may not tell me the truth. I've, I've been directed wrong, but Jesus is the one who will never direct you wrong. So, we ask you to, to test drive your beliefs, and we believe that if you just, just put God to the test, put Jesus Christ to the test, you'll find out that he is the one that you need to follow. And look what this founder of Christianity said in John 14. Now, i got to set this up just a little bit. Um, Jesus is about to die. He's had the Last Supper. Um, Judas has, has betrayed him. And so Jesus is giving them some last-minute instructions. And I actually am going to go back and give you a few more verses, and then and you can put up uh, verse 6. 
in the first part of, of John 14, Jesus is talking to him, to all his disciples, Judas is gone, and he says, okay, now I'm going to go away, and I'm going to prepare something for you. I, I share this a lot of times at funerals, because this gives people hope. Listen to this. Don't be troubled. You trust God, and I trust in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly, when everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know where I'm going and how to get there. All right? He's talking to his disciples. He just hung out three years with me, trained them. This is the hope of the world. He's leaving in their hands. And Thomas goes, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus goes, uh, well, Thomas like says, we haven't any idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then here it is. This is what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now, the founder of Christianity, how many ways did he say there are to get to heaven? One. 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 <laughs> um, if he's right, what you believe, this test drive thing, is extremely important for your eternal destiny. And, and if Jesus is right, then, then there's only one way to heaven. And so when I say that there's only one way to heaven, I'm being no more narrow-minded than the founder of Christianity, whom we say we follow, is being narrow-minded. Does that make sense? Why in the world would Jesus say this, and then I claim to follow Jesus, and I say, oh, there's many ways. I'm not the one who conquered death, if, and if I'm telling you that garbage, go back to the Bible, to the truth that does not change, and follow that. Because what you believe determines where you go after you die. Jesus talking to a religious leader in John 3, uh, 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, or for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not die but have eternal life. Believes. Whoever believes in Jesus and asks to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their lives, they're the ones that get eternal life. So what you believe determines where you go after you die. And you don't get to make the choice after you die. You have to make the choice now on this side of death. So we say, test drive your beliefs. But if you stop at, at, at just believing in God, then, then you're where two-thirds of Christians throughout the United States, probably throughout the world, are. Just believing. Because Christianity is not just about believing. There's a second thing in the test drive that we're going to ask you to do, and that's belong. You believe, but we also are going to ask you to belong, because we believe the Bible teaches that. Ephesians 2.19 says, You are members of God's very own family, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. You belong. The, the, the Christian life is not just a matter of believing, it's also a matter of belonging. I have to choose to belong. Life-changing fellowship happens through belonging. And you got to make that choice. Now, when you were born, you didn't make a choice about that. <laughs> Some of you like it. If I could choose marriage, it wouldn't be the two I have. But no, you don't get to make that choice. You're born into the human race. But in order to be a part of the family of God, you've got to make that spiritual choice. Uh, and, and don't tell me that you love God and that you believe God if you don't want to have, to have anything to do with His pride. Because the church is called the bride of Christ. And I know people all the time say, I believe God, I hate church. Don't tell me you like me and you hate my wife. Now you might tell her I like you and I hate your husband. That's okay, I understand that. But don't tell me we're going to have trouble. We're going to have problems. Because it's a package deal. When I said I do, I committed to her for 50 years, not you. Right? You know, so we're going to have trouble. Don't tell me that you love God and you want to follow God if you're not going to be committed to the bride of Christ. And you're going to say that you have problems with the bride. 
why do they do fellowship begins when you belong to two groups? The first group is a local church. And we emphasize this at the test drive level. You need to be committed to a church. If it's not this church, you need to go somewhere. If you're going somewhere and you're committed to that church, you say, woohoo, yay God. Be committed to a local church. Because if you're a Christian and you don't belong to a church, then you're an orphan. And God never planned for you to be an orphan. He wants you in his family. But there's a second group that you need to belong to, and that's at the road trip level. Guess what it is? A small group. There you go. Why is that? Why do we emphasize that? Because you can worship in a crowd, but you cannot fellowship in a crowd. When I used to take uh, youth groups on ski trips, sometimes we would hop on the bus South Sea Texas, and we would drive 20 to 24 hours on one of these days. Now, and I noticed something. Now, when I was in Arlington, I had, like, youth groups from hell. And, and I, I say that with all the kindness I can muster. Uh, and we took a trip one time, and it was like the worst trip ever. And we came back and said, we will never take teenagers on a ski trip again. I mean, it's just bad. Jenny and I got back at the back, and we, uh, we were in the back seat next to the toilet so that I could see everyone. And I was like, you know, the, the cop on the uh, his back. But when we got here, we loved it here. And we changed things and we made, you know, you had to do some stuff in order to qualify to go on the, the ski trip. But we noticed something on, on the ski trip. If you're back by the toilet, you don't hang out with people up front. I mean, it just, it just doesn't happen. Unless they come back to the toilet and you say something smart up like, go into the bathroom? <laughs> no. Just thought I'd take a nature walk. And, you know, then when they go in the bathroom, you're like, hold on. Because in college, we went on a trip one time, and I didn't know this, but I go in the bathroom, and I was a freshman, and so, like, they wanted to kind of initiate me, and, and they, they told the bus driver to slam on the brakes. Dude, I'm and I'm in there going, this guy's terrible. You know, I was thinking, he's a horrible driver. I come back, everybody's looking at me. Ha, ha, ha! How'd you do? how do you think I did? We're swerving all over the Anyway, it is not a pleasant experience to go to the bathroom. But the people that are on the front, you know who they hang out with? The four seats right around them. And we would play cards, and we would talk, and the people that I would talk to in the back are the three or four seats right around us. You know, you put your pillow out there, and, and you would have fellowship with those people. But you didn't have fellowship with the other folks. And, and this is what we figured out. Our church is kind of like the bus. Because you're going to fellowship on a Sunday morning with just the people right around you, just within 10 feet of you. You're not going to hang out with the people on the other side. You don't even look and wave at us. So just the kids, we're going to wave across. Everybody look across and wave, okay? We just had life-changing fellowship. No, you can't have life-changing fellowship in a crowd. And by the way, we discovered another bus. And, and this, this is uh, this 90 feet long. This is a real bus. This is, you know, what a doctor or anything. This is a real bus. 90 feet long. And, and the, uh, uh, what did he say? The driver said, uh, carries 300 passengers. And according to the driver, it's flexible when cornering. You guys don't better be flexible if you're 90 feet long and you're carrying 300 people. So, yeah, there you go. That's from the front to the back. How much fellowship are you going to have with people 90 feet and 299 people away? You're not going to have a lot of fellowship. So here's what we say. We say that you need to come to the bus on Sunday morning. 
But one hour a week, there's no way you can go deeper and have relationships. So we say, come to the boss, yeah, you're part of the extended family, but then, get in one of these. Get in a convertible. Subcontact, yeah. I, I can't even rent one of those, but we can pretend. Because what would happen? What would happen if you got in one of these and went riding around with somebody three or four hours a week for the next 52 weeks? You would like that, wouldn't you? As long as someone else is paying the bill, yeah. The whole idea is fellowship happens in a smaller group. Anytime you get above 10 to 12 people, you cannot have fellowship. So our worship service on Sunday mornings is not designed for fellowship. Our small groups, our convertibles, are where you need to take a road trip. So you've got to, to make the choice to be a part of uh, a small group. And if you did this week after week, how do you think your relationships would be with the people in that group? Yeah, they'd be a lot closer. It would make a difference. So, here's what we've discovered. One thing evident is, is Christians don't want more teaching. Right? Now you just think about it, and you think about the churches you've been in. Does every Christian do everything they've been taught to do? So knowledge is not the problem. Application of that knowledge is the problem. What Christians seem to want is not more teaching, they want to talk about the teaching. And so our small groups are the place where we're going to do that. When we start our thread series on Easter, we're going to, in the small groups, we're going to have a discussion about Sunday morning topics. We're going to have this, you know, kind of an extended listening guide type thing with some questions on it, so that during the week, you're going to be able to uh, discuss further. Small groups are the place where you can go and you can ask questions and you can, you can be real with other people. And that's why we're going to emphasize doing that over and over again. God never intended for you to live life alone. He wants you to be um, with others, to do life with others. And when we do that, something supernatural happens. Now, um, I, I want to show you just an interview that I did with Justin and Jenny Florence, um, just because I'm friends with them and I've talked to them. I've heard them say some things about church and about small groups. I went over and I interviewed them. And uh, just kind of give you a little bit of insight into them, the first part was when we did our worship Bible series. You know, we were doing that and... This is part of their ultimate cheer, so let me kind of give you a little bit of insight, but then you'll hear a little bit more from them as you watch this. We're here with uh, Justin and Jenny, and I'm just going to ask them a few questions about church and small group and marriage and things like that. So, uh, Justin, I've known you for years. Um, tell me, would you describe yourself as a model Christian? Oh, my memories. Uh, why, why is that? I uh, help opportunity someone. Uh, I don't live the way I should. I don't act the way I should. I don't talk the way I should. But I have the Christian beliefs. I'm just, uh, I'm weak when it comes to the ways of the world, I guess. Follow through. Okay. Okay, good. And, and you don't claim to be perfect Christian, perfect wife, and you guys don't have a perfect marriage, right? Okay. Kind of like, I wanted to uh, talk to you guys was, um, you said something about uh, last year you started coming to the church and you got involved in small groups. Did that make any difference in your marriage? Yeah, I think. Did it make any difference in your life? 
Can you please go? My Okay, and we got married, and I was pregnant, and I got married, and I had to put on a personal day, so our marriage was real bad. Yeah, we got in church, and we got in a small group, and we were getting so good, and we were slowly, really too tired, or whatever, and we made pieces all together, we didn't even open it in our house, and we had moments more than we did church. And both of us got away from doing that, but our marriage was real bad, and there was a lot of moms we split up, that Christmas Eve, we just had Christmas, Got back together in the middle of February and again, that's in the work part. And, um, when we put God first, everything was the way it should be. And everything just been wonderful. Oh, no, okay. It was really good because I was reading my book and I was going all for it. And slowly I started getting aggravated. And I put my aggravation to go around. Let kids really dictate how I feel rather than. No. No. Mom, sometimes it's hard to do. So sometimes in marriage you hear they want to stop. Just have time. Occasionally, yeah. Maybe more hours than other people. No, I think we could all relate to that. Brother, this is from all. So you see the need for God at the top, and then all the other priorities flow from that. So the bottom line is. You recognize the need for God in your life. You recognize the need, the need for um, being involved in a church and having positive influences, not just negative, right? Yeah, they were actually kind of nicer on camera because it was just funny. I'm like, is your marriage perfect? Like, no. He irritates me. Nobody else has ever been irritated by their spouse, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we can relate. Um, and, and part of what I like about Justin and Jenny is, is they're just honest. They're just going to tell you what's going on, and they don't pretend. And, uh, and I appreciate you guys being willing to, to get on camera and, and share with us. Now, here's the thing. This is why we want you to see that video. Um, because when you get involved in a small group, something happens. This is the third step, and this, this happens on the road trip, and it's you become... You become something that you weren't in the beginning. And, and here's the deal. You become like people that you hang out with. We say you, you become what you're committed to, but you also become like the people that you hang out with. The Bible teaches us that in addition to believing and belonging, we are supposed to become more and more like Christ. We're supposed to grow spiritually. If a child doesn't grow physically and, and mentally, we begin to worry, right? I mean, if your kid is the one that, that's not growing, you would start scheduling appointments with doctors and specialists and all of this different stuff. But what happens in the church, and especially in the churches that I've been in, people have been the same for 50 years. There ought to be some big old honking alarm going off, saying there's something wrong here, spiritual infants, we should be mature by now, you know, you know all kinds of stuff. There ought to be people coming out in vests, bulletproof vests, and trying to figure out what's going to happen to this person. Because something is wrong if somebody's been sitting there for 50 years and is still acting like an idiot. I get a little, I get a little pumped up about that. Not that I've ever seen that before. Not that I've ever seen that. Um, but people that people that are supposed to be spiritual giants. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor this week, and and he was telling me about some of his deacons, and I'm like, dude, huh? They're not a deacon. He's like, well, you don't understand. I'm like, yes, I do. There needs to be some process to get rid of somebody who is not not a spiritual leader in the church. And if you, oh, anyway, we'll get off that. 
you should become more like Christ. There ought to be some spiritual medical manual to diagnose the problem. And guess what? There is. It's the Bible. Now, let's look at what the Bible says, specifically in the book of Hebrews. Um, it was written to Jews who had become Christians, and they were struggling to do life. Anybody here that fit your bill? You're a Christian, you're struggling to do life? They needed to know, know what to do next. They believed in Jesus as the Son of God, all right, so they did the test drive thing. They belonged to the local church, they made a commitment. Now what? God wanted them to make progress on the spiritual highway, and, uh, and he wanted them to grow up, just, but they didn't know how. So the writer of Hebrews tells them how. And one of the most significant things that I can, I can get across to you today, hopefully, is this idea that the writer takes what is, is private and he makes it public. And he's talking about worship. And I want you to pay attention here because there's a great word for teenage drivers in uh, the NIV version of Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faith. You got the word? Yeah, I kind of emphasize it there. That's a great word for teenage drivers, right? Uh, unswervingly. Now, what does that word mean? Unswerving. Well, basically, it means consistency. Here's what the writer is saying in, in verse 23. He's saying, don't you want consistency in your relationship with God? And, and wouldn't any Christian say, yeah, I want to be consistently um, praying. I want to be consistently more like Christ in my daily life. Don't you want consistency to win against temptation? Don't you want consistency in your marriage, in parenting, in daily life? Don't you want to do the Christian thing there and, and have consistency? You want to be, you don't want to be all over the highway, all over the map, do you? And, and the answer is no, we don't. So he says, he gives us this whole key, and he says, here's the key to being unswerving, to being consistent in your Christian life. And there's this three-letter word at the beginning of verse 24. That you need to pay attention to. Anytime you see the three-letter word in Scripture, it means what I'm about to tell you is connected to what I just told you. So, these two ideas are related. If you want to be unswerving in your life, is what verse 23 says, then you need to do what the next few verses say. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That word spur is just what you think it is. You've seen spurs on a cowboy? Do you think the horse likes the spurs? Not the basketball team, the spurs that come. Because what, what are you doing? What is the cowboy doing with the spurs? <laughs> He's basically stabbing the horse to encourage the horse to go where he wants to go. Well, this idea is sometimes we need to kick each other in the rear, spiritually, because we're stupid. <laughs> you know, let's just be honest. And I need somebody who will say, you're being stupid. This friend that I was hanging out with this week, that we have that type of relationship. He won't let me get by with stuff. I don't let him get by with stuff. I'm just like, dude, you need to do this. You need to do this. Quit bellyaching and do this. You need somebody in your life like that. Spur you on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together and some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You want to look at your life two years from now and say, um, it has been unswerving. My Christian life has been unswerving. If so, you need to hook up with a group of people relationally who've been given permission to spur you on towards love and good deeds. The Christian life is not just you and God working through all of this stuff. All of you and God stuff needs to be public and, and with a group of people who can consider because they know you. They can't consider unless they know you. They can't know you unless you spend time with them. They can consider how to spur you on towards love and good deeds. And I've heard both Christians and non-Christians say, you know, I've thought about the Christian life, but I don't think I can pull it off. 
Newsflash. You cannot pull it off if you try to do it by yourself. You need others, and that's why God designed the church in the first place. Get a group and do it now. You show me a Christian who is being unswerving in their life, where you would look at them and you'd say, that person knows God, spend time with God. Nine times out of ten, that person has hooked up relationally in a group of people and given them permission to spur him or her on towards love and good deeds. But you show me somebody who maybe they, they have a new Bible, maybe they've, they've prayed the prayer and, and you know they've been baptized and they go to church or whatever, but who consistently falls to the same temptation over and over and over again. And I will bet money, I'm not a betting person, but I will bet money that that person is not hooked up relationally with a group of people who can spur them on towards love and good deeds. You need to get in a group and you need to do it now. Now, even though your relationship with God is personal, we teach this all the time, it is a personal choice. There are no spiritual grandbabies. God is either your father spiritually or he's not. You don't get to call him granddad, God. You need to make a personal choice. But even though it's personal, it was never intended to be private. And here's why. Where does a man go if he's hurting? In American society, where does a man go and ask questions of other men? Mars? Then you don't remember the answer, so <laughs> that didn't work. What if a teenager checked out of reality and made all kinds of bad decisions and he sucking wind? Where does he go? What if um, a car accident takes the life of a loved one? What happens, where does he go when he discovers he has cancer and, he, and he's going to die? Where does he go when the storms of life come? Where does he go? After Jesus Christ established Christianity, you know where they went? Church. Small groups of people meeting in homes. And that's what we're encouraging you to do, is have a place like that. The Christian life is intensely personal, but it was never intended to be private. The New Testament encourages us to live out our lives publicly and out loud. Not a religious fanatic. I, I, don't, I don't believe in that trash. But doing life deeply and honestly and consistently with a small group of people. When we do a small group, my small group meets today, right after church. It's not a convenient time to meet but we meet. And you know what we do? We, we eat together. We uh, do a Bible study together. We pray together. And, and the key word is together. We do it together. And uh, I know some of the objections you have. Here's just some of the things we wrote down real quick, the objections about. Uh, I'm a freak. <laughs> no one else has these problems. I, if they knew the real me, well, that's just a lie straight from hell. To try to keep you alone. Uh, my house is not good enough. Actually, I think what we said is, my house sucks. I can't have anybody in there. That's what we
Sit down. Praise God for caller ID. Wes told me the other day, every time I answer, he's like, you answered again. It makes me feel better about us. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you don't know how many times, though, I pretend I'm not here when you call. No, not really. But laughter fills you up. And my, my small group laughs. And, and from what I understand, other small groups laugh occasionally, too. You can't get you can't have Wes in a small group and not laugh, especially if you do the Song of Solomon and talk about sex. You you just want to laugh. Wes Andrew, that's true. You get those two guys together. Another thing that I've learned from small group is that pain is universal. It's just not always visible. We've had parent health problems. We've had marital issues, teenager chaos, emotional breakdowns, job transitions, children leaving home, surgeries, heart scares, financial fears. And when we go below the, the surface level of our hearts, I found out there's gold there for me. Because when they share their lives, I find out I'm not a freak of nature and everybody else has the same problems I do. And it's actually kind of cool to know that I'm not alone. I've learned that sometimes the best curriculum is the curriculum of life. We almost always have a Bible study, but the questions we get that take us off and somebody's dealing with something over here and then you get counsel from God's word over here. Sometimes just life is the best curriculum. Confession is the highway to life changing fellowship. John Powell wrote a book called Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? And here's what he says. If I tell you who I am and you don't like me, I'll be alone. But you know what happens in my small group? When people are honest, when they take off the mask, what I find happens is I'm not repelled by that. When, when I was um, open share group leader in, in uh, Celebrate Recovery, I did that for a year. When people were honest, you know what happened? My heart grew towards them and I said, I like that person because they're being honest. And I prayed for them and I was drawn to them and I tried to figure out how I could add value to their lives because they were honest. And um, if you want people to draw closer to you, be honest and share with them. And the Bible tells us this in James 5.16. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Sharing your feelings is the beginning of healing. If you want a better life, get in a small group. Now, listen to this quote and, and we'll be finished. This guy was writing about small groups and he says, I've come to realize that it's not a question of whether I care or wait a minute. I've come to realize that it's not a question of whether they care, but will I let them care? I've learned that if I am going to try to live my life alone, I can, but I don't have to. And if I do, it's my fault. And here's the key. I make myself alone by not making myself known. I said this last week. If you choose not to be involved and then major trauma happens in your life, don't get mad at God or the church because nobody knew what was going on. This pastor friend of mine shared that a good friend of his all of a sudden started acting kind of funny around him. And so he asked her, he's like, he's like, uh, is there something wrong? Are you mad at me? No, 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 no. I'm not mad at you. And he goes, well, I just I just want to give you the opportunity to tell me because things just haven't been the same. For a while, and he said, usually when people start acting like this, it's not long before they leave the church. And so she goes, you want the truth? He goes, yeah. She said, I've been mad at you for two years. He goes, why? She said, because two years ago I put my dad in the nursing home and you weren't there with me. And he goes, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. And he said, did you ever pick up the phone and call me and say, hey, Chris, I need you to, to be there for me? No. 
He said, in two years, did you ever consider coming and talking to me and tell me what's going on? No. He said, do you think that's fair? No. But I'm still mad at you. And then she left the church. Because before she left the church, he said, well, will you call me now? She goes, nope. Because I'm mad at you. And she left the church. Not a whole lot you can do if somebody's going to choose to be ticked off. I mean, we talk about this in marriage. You, can you read your spouse's mind? Ladies, some of you have said this. If, yeah, you're saying yes. No, you can't. You might know certain things, but you can't read their mind. Ladies, I've heard, I've heard ladies say, well, I, if I have to tell him, it's not worth it. Then get ready to be disappointed the rest of your married days. Because guys need a map. We just aren't that smart. We are not that smart. Give me a map and I can get there. You, you want to know, you want me to know how to, to meet your needs? Tell me. Because <laughs> I'm just, I am not very sensitive. Okay, so let's finish this up. Most Christians want to be unswerving. They don't know how. Get in a small group. Let's pray together.